You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. That passage of scripture that Donnie read for us is a famous one, right? It's the account that, of Moses kind of encountering the burning bush, and Moses is called to become the leader of the Hebrews, the, the great prophet who would um, kind of speak to Pharaoh and represent God. But before we get into that, I, I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about a famous story. Uh, it was first a novel. It's called The Wizard of Oz. Uh, some of you might have read it. Uh, it's pretty popular. It's kind of a cultural icon. It was actually published in the year 1900. That's a few years ago now, 123 years ago. Yeah. And so, um, but it was made popular again by the production of a film by the same name, uh, starring Judy Garland. And that was in 1939, believe it or not. So that's been a few years ago. Um, it started coming out in 1954 on television, kind of once a year. Now, some of you will remember this and some of you won't, but there was a time when you only watched things when they were on television. This is kind of before the day of the, uh, the VCR or the recording device and certainly long before the day of the streaming service, right? And so by the end of the 1980s, The Wizard of Oz was the most watched film ever because not only had it done well in the theater when it was there, but because it was on TV and it was on TV once a year, we all watched it once a year. Like every year we'd watch it. It was a, it was a, a phenomenon. Now, the book kind of had its own kind of life for kind of prior to the film. And in particular, there was one uh, interpretation of the book that was very popular. And they read it not just as a story of Dorothy kind of going away to this fantasy land called Oz, kind of walking down the yellow brick road and finding friends along the way, like the scarecrow and the tin man and the lion, and kind of staying away from the wicked witch and the, you know, the flying monkeys and, and kind of um, making her way eventually to the Emerald City. But it was thought to be actually political satire. It was a critique against the, the dominant kind of culture at the time. And so all of the characters, in a very straightforward fashion, actually, represented certain people or certain types of people uh, in the world. And so there were those who argued that for our currency, our standard, that we shouldn't rely on gold because it was pretty rare, but rather we should rely on silver because it was, it was more common. And so they wanted a silver standard as opposed to a gold standard. And the yellow brick road represented a gold standard, but it was more of a fantasy. So, and the characters would represent these types of people. So the Wicked Witch of the East and the Wicked Witch of the West, her sister, kind of represented New York and L.A. And then the Scarecrow represented kind of farmers, right? They were out there working, but they didn't really have a brain, right? They were out there working, but they were going to work, but they weren't going to really comment on this kind of more sophisticated kind of political or economic decision. The Tin Man represented industrial workers, right? Folks who worked in the factories, folks who worked in Pittsburgh, folks who worked in Detroit making steel or making, you know, the automobile. 
they were hard workers, but they didn't have a heart, right? They, they weren't going to actually be committed to this kind of this kind of body politic, this kind of ideology, like how are we all going to kind of live together? And then the cowardly lion represented politicians, right? They lacked courage. They wouldn't stand up to the powers of Wall Street or to Hollywood. They, they were going to cave no matter what. In particular, um, the cowardly lion was kind of uh, based on uh, William Jennings Bryan, who's an interesting uh, politician from that time. Or so some people said, at least about the film. Um, and then Dorothy, of course, kind of represented middle America. I mean, you can't get more middle America than Kansas. That's about as middle as you can get. And so she was from the farm, and she represented all that was good. And she and her little dog, Toto, kind of represented life at its best. Yet, she longs for something else, right? She wants to be elsewhere, and so she ends up getting swept up in the tornado somewhere over the rainbow, and she goes on this journey, or perhaps a dream, it's kind of hard to tell, and she makes her way down the Golden Brick uh, Road, and uh, being led, of course, by her fairy godmother or whatever, and when she gets to the end, she finds out what she's always needed is what she's always had, which is her slippers. Now, in the, in the book, her slippers are made of silver, because the silver is supposed to be kind of what we have and therefore what we ought to long for, both an idea of contentment, being content with what we have, but also kind of relying on ourselves and our ingenuity and not, not just following something that's more fanciful, right? And so the silver slippers are compared to the yellow brick road, and she has what she has always needed, and... You know, that turns out the Emerald City, it's green, right, because it's the color of money, and the golden path that has led to it ends up being a facade. It's a sham, right? So the great and powerful Oz, right, turns out to be, um, you know, a snake salesman, uh, a, a snake oil salesman. He's, he's just the man kind of pulling the strings kind of behind the curtain. In fact, there's a famous line from the film that says, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. And even that, even the shorter version of that phrase, the man behind the curtain, kind of represents a falsity, right? Uh, kind of a pseudo form of whatever. The man behind the curtain is not wise, is not strong, is not, should not be followed, right? Now, when, it, when the book was made into a film, a couple of things happened. Some of it is ingenious, right? And so at that time, they had the capacity to do things in color, although they, the film starts off in black and white, kind of representing Kansas. And then when, when they get to Oz, it's all in color. That kind of shift is, I think, fantastic. And then the casting was also wonderful. So... All, all of the major characters in Oz were actually um, played by the same characters who played uh, people in the life of Dorothy, right? So the scarecrow, the tin man, and the, and the lion are all farmhands on her aunt and uncle's farm. Uh, the wicked witch is a lady who's um, a, a character in Kansas where she lives, and she's going to, you know, somehow harm Dorothy, take her dog, right? 
And then Oz is literally a snake oil salesman, right? He is a charlatan, right? He's just trying to sell people stuff that's literally of no value, and he's just kind of fooling them. And he's the, he's the character, the actor that plays that character also plays Oz. And so the theme, for the most part, stays intact, but with one very important change in detail. And that is, we all know the color of her slippers are not silver, but ruby, right? You didn't even say red. Like we all call them ruby red slippers or her ruby slippers. So in the film, that worked great because of the color of them, right? So she could stand there and she kind of click her heels together. You know that? It's wonderful, right? However, once you change the color of her slippers from silver to ruby, then, then your whole kind of political satire falls apart. It can no longer be an argument for the silver standard as opposed to the gold standard. However, it can point to this other, and I might, might even call it a deeper reality of what this is speaking to, that our life on this earth, with all of its ups and downs and ins and outs, of all of the, the good and the evil and the the great times and the hard times, is the life that we have, and it is a good life. It is, it is life on this earth. It's not a life kind of in a daydream where, it kind of, where it's kind of wasted or kind of whisked away. Like, it's possible sometimes for us to do that, that we, we look so much forward to the future that we never actually experience our lives. It can happen, listen, even if you're young and in the room, you should listen to me. Because when you're young, right, you want to be a little older, right? Before you're a teenager, you want to be a teenager. Oh, that'd be great. And then you turn 13, you think, oh, wouldn't it be great to be 16? I can drive. You turn 16, you think, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if I were 18? I could vote. You turn 18, you think, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if I was 21? I could drink. You go to 21, you go like, oh, wouldn't it be great if I was 25? I could rent a car. You know, you turn 25, and you think, oh, man, wouldn't it be great if I was, you know, 30? And you turn 30, and you think, you know, we're always wanting to be something else, right? We're wanting to be married when we're not married. We're wanting to have a kid when we don't have a kid. We're wanting to have a job when we don't have a job. And we're always looking towards the future. And when we always look toward the future, we never actually live in the present. Now, some of us are just the opposite of that. We never look toward the future, and we only look toward the past. And we always think of the past as a better time than what we have. And if we consistently do that in our lives, you realize the time that we're having now, at a later time, we'll look back to this time, we'll say, man, those were the good old days. You know how I know that? Because we always say that. <laughs> we always say of the previous time how good they were and how bad it is that we're living the way we're living now. Oh, man, wasn't it great during the days of, I don't know, leave it to beaver, right? Wasn't it great when, we were, when the kids were young? Wasn't it great, you know, you know, before climate change and, you know, it was so hot? Wasn't it great before this? Wasn't it great before that? And we're always looking into the past, both of those extremes are really quite unhealthy. It's good to pay attention to the past. We don't want to forget it, right? Because those who forget the past are kind of doomed to repeat it. It's good to look towards the future, to, to hope for something better. But we want, to, we want to kind of 
I mean, hold on to that hope some, somewhat loosely so that we don't fail to realize the gift of where we are. There is, there is a spiritual discipline of, of contentment that will make your life better. It will make your life richer. It will make your life fuller. You'll realize that what you have is what you need. It's, it's the family that are around. It's, it's the place that you are. It's the experiences that you're having now from waking up this morning to whatever food you may have eaten in the cafe right to the songs that we've sung and the prayers that we've prayed and the scriptures that we've read and this very sermon that you're hearing, right? This is all a part of your life. And we're here on this kind of holiday weekend, you know, national holiday weekend. Uh, some of you, maybe a lot of you, might have the day off tomorrow. You might eat a hot dog or a hamburger or whatever it is, some watermelon, the kind of things that we do this kind of time of year. But enjoy it. So what Dorothy realizes, right, once she gets back from Oz, is she's looking around and she's looking into the face of these characters. And, and she's realizing that these people are, are her people. You know, this is her group. Like those, those farmhands, the, the guy who plays the scarecrow and the, the guy who plays the tin man and the, the guy who plays the lion. That, and her aunt and uncle, of course, and her dog. Right? They're, they're all a part of what she needs. And I have more to say about what I think that means, particularly as it relates to this passage from Exodus with Moses and this burning bush and this kind of life that God has made for us and that God is calling us to. But before I get there, there's one other interpretation of this book-turned-movie. Uh, uh, it was also, I think this theme was very well, very well turned into a song. So Elton John sings this song titled, Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. And in Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road, Elton John's interpretation of it is much like my interpretation, both of the book, but then maybe more so of the film, because it's not into the, just the particularity of the, of the economic you know, principles of the early 20th century, but of, of the deeper concept that um, it's not life somewhere over the rainbow and some kind of fantasy that um, we should long for, but the actual life that God is giving us here and now. I think he gets it just right, right? It's my life is going to be beyond the yellow brick road. I'm going back to my plow, right? I'm going to kind of re-engage this life. And I think this is what's happening. It's like we have been kind of taught a lesson that I think is, well, wrong, right? We've been taught this idea that this world is not our home and that we're going somewhere else and that God's okay if this place kind of burns to a crisp because he's got some other place for us, right? The certain passages of scripture, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you so. In my father's house, if we follow the King James, it says there are many mansions. And so we started thinking about that. Oh, wouldn't it be nice, you know? I'm going to leave my hard time, my hard life behind here, and I'm going to go to some kind of, you know, place where there's golden streets, Golden streets, that is a yellow brick road, isn't it? Like our vision of heaven is somehow kind of shaped by this. 
and that we're all going to get this mansion and even the streets are going to be made of gold. And it, it's as though, I don't know, th this life is just some kind of, kind of birth chamber, right? Kind of waiting for the next. But I think that's problematic. I mean, on so many levels. For one, the better translation of the passage says, in my father's house are many rooms. That's the way that, that word should be translated, not many mansions. And it shouldn't surprise you that our God is not offering us a gospel that is so materialistic, that's all about just getting more stuff, right? Our, our gospel is one about giving, not about getting. And it's, a, and it's about love, and, and it is about abundance, but abundance because there's so much food, we have a lot to share. Like, that's the repetitive story. I'm going to feed you, and there's going to be all this left over. And with the leftovers, and who doesn't love leftovers, right? Leftovers are great. With all the leftovers, there's going to be enough to share. There's going to be enough for us to, to have. And the, the prayer that we are taught to pray is not about us going somewhere else when we die, but it rather is about God's kingdom coming here. Listen to it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The good news, according to Jesus, is not that we're going somewhere else. The good news, according to Jesus, is that God's kingdom is coming here. The kingdom of God is at hand. That is what Jesus preached, that the kingdom was coming and that the coming of God was going to change our reality. So much so that we don't, um, listen to the very belief, at the very heart of Christianity is a belief in the resurrection. That we might have killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And not only has God raised him from the dead, but he will raise us from the dead, right? So that we too will be raised, right, into this kind of bodily life. But if you're raised into a bodily life, you got to have some place to be. And the place that we're going to be is in a new heaven and new earth. That new creation is taking the old and it's, re it's renewing it. It's restoring it. It's, it's making it kind of what it was an intention, intentionally made to be, but it's kind of bringing it to a fuller kind of consummation. It's not just a return to Eden, right? It's value added because it's not just a garden that was unkept that we're being told to kept. It's a city. It's a city with walls and gates, but the gates, we should be reminded, are never shut. And in the city, there's a river, and along the river, there's this tree of life, and the tree of life is continually giving us access, both to life and to healing, because it says the, tr the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. And the people are described as every tribe and language and people and nation. It's this diverse kind of, just like we have now, all of these people from all around the globe living in this restored kingdom. Like the, in the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation doesn't end with God's people being swooped up and taken elsewhere, right? Somewhere over the rainbow, right? Uh, to the land of Oz, which is in a galaxy far, far away to where no man has gone before. <laughs> I'm full of metaphors. No, that's not how it ends. It ends with the new Jerusalem coming down. The coming of God. That's our only hope. <laughs> that is the new hope. <laughs> it's, it's, it's 
It's more than I want. I, I apologize. It just all fits today, right? But the coming of the kingdom of God is just that. And it's what we should have always known. Look, when God created, he said, this is good. Or to quote the Greek translation of it, he said, this is beautiful. Every time God creates something, he's like, this is beautiful. And so we should get from that that God loves creation. God tells us to care for it. God loves it so much and loves us so much that God became, right, flesh. The very, the very incarnation of, of the divine becoming flesh is this ultimate affirmation of the goodness and the beauty of this life. And if God just wanted to kind of rescue us from here to take us elsewhere, that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he could have gone to be with the Father just like all of our loved ones have. Right? My mom and dad are past, my grandparents are past, and they've gone to be with the Lord. Jesus could have done that too. But Jesus didn't just go to be with the Father the way our loved ones did. If that were the case, Jesus' tomb would still be occupied, right? His grave would still have his body. But he was, his, he was bodily raised from the dead. His bodily resurrection, the very fact that it is an empty tomb that is such a central part of the Christian story is this reaffirmation of the goodness of creation, the beauty of creation, the, the gift of life, like life is wonderful. Life is good. It is a wonderful gift. And it is here right now. And if we are always imagining wanting something other, wishing that we had more money or more fame or less troubles, right? That we had some, you know, golden brick road. The golden brick road is a farce. It is a red herring. It's best to come back to the earth, <laughs> to come back to your plow, to kind of realize that this life is good. So when Moses meets God on Mount Sinai, God says, look, I am who I am. And it's right there. And he's called Moses. And Moses is right there. These are real people in a real time. And that's what God is doing. God is dealing with the problem of evil. God is dealing with the problem of sin by by choosing Israel and being faithful to them. And, and his faithfulness to them is what's going to eventually bring us to the Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we're going to realize that God is not just being faithful to Israel, but God is being faithful to all the world. And God is seeking to save the world through his son. And that's good news. So, goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Paul tells us, um, this passage is in the lectionary, this passage from, from Exodus, but it gets paired with this story or this letter of Paul to the Romans. And Paul has talked through this long story about how some of us are Jew and some of us are Gentile, but God came first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, and now that he's come to both the Jew and the Gentile, he's done, because that includes everybody, right? That he's been faithful. Right? Abraham was faithful, and, and Christ has been faithful. And so now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death, so that creation itself 
which has been longing for renewal, can celebrate the day of our adoption. But then Paul says this, once he's worked through all of that theology, he gets down to the nitty-gritty about how we should live. Like, what does this mean? So this is a passage from Romans chapter 11. Paul says this, Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We say that part often in our prayers to the people, right? We get this from this passage in Romans chapter 11. Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take the thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a recipe for a life here. Even when he's talking about there, he's kind of talking about avoiding the yellow brick road. Like not following that path, following this path. That yellow brick road that's so kind of materialistic and so self-sufficient, it is a broad path that I think it is natural maybe to long for, but we're called to resist it, that there's a narrow path, there's a better way of living this life, and it's a life that follows Jesus, and for that matter, it's a life that also follows Paul. It's a little bit like follow the leader, like Jesus walked that path. Paul followed that path behind Jesus. When we read things like the letters to the Romans, we are kind of following Paul's path, who is on a path following Jesus. That's, it's how it works. We kind of learn from one another, whether it's from things we read that they wrote or whether it's lives that we actually see in the saints of those that we live with and go to church with. We see how they are faithful, and we too can become faithful. I think that's exactly what's happening to Dorothy when she's coming back home, having been in that fantasy land of Oz, and she's seeing just how faithful her aunt and uncle are. And she's seeing just how faithful those kind of farm workers are. And she's kind of realizing that. She's kind of maturing there in the moment that, no, this is what I've always needed. I thought I wanted or needed something else, but that's just not true. So goodbye, Yellow Brick Road. Bring me here. Bring me now. Make me faithful to the truth that you have given me. 
And let me be one of those types of people, like Moses, who can kind of stand and realize this is holy ground. We don't need to go somewhere else to be on holy ground. This is holy ground. This is God's place. This earth is our home. We are earthlings. The one who made this earth also made us as part of this earth. In fact, according to Genesis 2, we are even made from the earth. Right? The original one, the Adam, Adam, is made from the Adamah, the ground. Genesis says he took dust and formed it and he made man. And he breathed into him and he became a human soul. We say this at a certain point in the church in the church year. There's a time, we call it Ash Wednesday, and we mark that day about our own finitude. When the imposition of ash is placed on your forehead, the minister says, from dust you shall have come, and to dust you shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That sounds a little morbid, right? Because we realize that our lives are not our own. They are a gift. But the blessed be the name of the Lord is the real key there. Because we're blessing the Lord because our God is the God of life and death. And neither life nor death can separate us from the love of God. And death itself is not the end of the story. Because we believe in a resurrection. But to believe in a resurrection is to believe in the goodness of what God has created. And that's the good news. That God has made us and God has loved us and God has given us this place with all of this wonderful life. The sunshine and the rain, the sun and the moon, the good food, the friends, the family, the opportunity to work, to improve, to grow. Give me this path, this dirt path this path along the journey of life every time over that yellow brick road. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.